Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hunt. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. On today's episode, we're introducing a new segment called Five Surprise Questions. So be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 13 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. You ready to be surprised, Colin? I'm always ready to be surprised. Actually, I'm constantly surprised by you, so this should be kind of interesting. (laughs) Just for the audience benefit, we have not given each other the questions. These are totally surprised, so we're going to totally wing this episode and see how it goes. Right, so Colin created five questions for me, and I created five questions for him, and neither of us knows what we created for the other. This should be an adventure. (laughs) Yes, we're going to try to avoid stupid answers, if we can. (laughs) It'll be entertaining, hopefully, and I think informative. There you go. There you go. All right. So let's get started with healthcare IT question number one. Am I going first? Yeah, why don't you go first? You go first. Okay. So my first question for you is what technology or solution did you see and think, wow, this is gonna really improve healthcare? Wow. Uh you mean over the last year or like any time? Anytime, I think Anytime. you know it could wow. be the cell phone. It could be you know I don't want to lead your answer, but yeah, <laughs> you, anything that you've seen and you're just like, dang, I wish I would have thought that. You know? <laughs> uh, well, this is gonna go, this is probably gonna go way back many years, but when I first saw um, a automated transcription uh, and dictation tool that was able to translate voice into text, for specifically for uh, medical practices like uh, physicians. Hmm. To me, I thought that would. This was probably about ten years ago. I saw it, and it was terrible. Like it was just, you know, it was really inaccurate. But it got enough right that I thought this, when it's perfected, and as we get better, is going to, you know, radically change uh, healthcare. Because at the time, we were still sort of in the paper-based world, right? We're still doing everything manually. EHRs hadn't really come into being fully yet. Uh, and really was just being used predominantly for, you know, uh, trans- uh, transcribing services. And I thought, wow, this this would be, this is going to revolutionize everything. We could like do an a- anal- analytics on the, on the, on the text and yank out all this valuable information. So Little did I know, we'd still be waiting for all this 10 years later. Because um, <laughs> I thought it was going to be like, oh, it's going to be like two years from now. We're going to be talking into like our computers and and like, you know, in the, in the healthcare field. So anyway, that to me was the one technology that like really, truly, I was like, I was floored by it and I couldn't get enough of it. I was standing in that booth, just I forget who it was uh, that I was standing in, but just watching that technology work was was amazing. Yeah, Dr. Nick made me fall in love with that technology when he was working at Mmodal like three companies ago. It was it was amazing to see the potential, and I think we're actually almost there. Now it's changed it from voice recognition to uh, uh, ambient voice technology is what right. they're calling it now. But we'll see if the rebranding actually achieves results. But I like it. It was actually making the doctor more efficient. Like yeah, technology was- should do. That was my thinking back then, but uh, you know, who, who, how did I? I would never. I just wish I came up with Alexa first, right? Like that would have been. <laughs> anyways, that That's was true. my. That was my. All right. So what's my question? Okay, so my question for you is, John, will blockchain ever live up 
to the promise in healthcare? So this is a kind of a nuanced question because I, if you would have said, will blockchain provide value to healthcare? That's a different question though than what you asked. Because if it, yeah, will it provide some value to healthcare? Yes, I think it will. But will it live up to the promise is a very different question. <laughs> and I think that's easily no. I mean, no, no way. I mean, is it possible to live up to the hype? I, I don't know if there's any, has any other technology been more hyped than blockchain? I mean, the amount of dollars that have been invested on blockchain is just astounding to even consider. Uh, you know, you, you put blockchain in your deck and you got money, it's felt like. So, uh, you know, I, I just say it's impossible for it to live up to that, uh, you know, but I, I do think it will provide very narrow slices of value in credentialing and trust between partners and a few things like that. But, you know, uh, no way, no way it lives up to the hype. <laughs> you know, it's funny, I, I almost, I mean, who knows, right? The jury's still out. We still might see some value, but I almost equate, you know, blockchain today to where neural networks were like, like you know, in the years past where, you know, maybe one day it'll become the foundation for something else. Like neural networks became the foundation for what we now call AI, but no one implements a neural net, right? Like no one says, oh, I'm going to implement a neural net today, or I have a neural net company. And yet, you know, the same thing I see happening with blockchain, you add, like you said, you add blockchain to your deck today and you're still getting attention. But I think the, you know, the shine has come off because we haven't really seen a lot of practical, you know, blockbuster type of applications based on the chain, on blockchain yet. So, and at least in healthcare. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, I wrote it the question on purpose because you're right, I'm with you. I think it'll provide some value at some point, but whether it lives up, I don't think it's going to live up to this hype. Yep. Cool. So uh, the next one is uh, the fun question. So here's the fun question for you. You've traveled all over. I mean, in your career and even as now working with healthcare, so you go to conferences, you've traveled all over. Uh, you know, you, you, you should have status on everyone permanently for a lifetime. But so <laughs> as so, and you're always eating out. So my question for you is, what's the best meal you've ever eaten? Wow. That is a, what is the best meal I've ever eaten? Um, okay, well, on the road, there's one, and this is going to sound so funny, but the best meal I ever ate was at Fogo de Chow. <laughs> in, oh, wow, <laughs> this is surprising. At, it's delicious, yeah, man. <laughs> at Fogo de Chow in, in Atlanta. That was their, so it was the first time I'd ever been to a restaurant like that, never even heard of it. And I was with a, a small company then, and there were four, three of us that were just on this uh, at this conference, and we were staying at a hotel that was sort of like next to it, and so we could smell it, right? And it's like, oh, we should go to this place. None of the three of us knew what a Brazilian steakhouse was. We just thought it was right. <laughs> thought it was like Ruth Chris or something, right? Yeah, get a steak, get some potatoes. <laughs> yeah, exactly, that's what we thought it was. And so we got there at like eight o'clock. We because after we finished the client or the, the conference, it was late. We went there. And they couldn't seat us. They said we, they couldn't seat us until 9:30, and so we said, "Okay, we'll come back." So we didn't even sit around to see what it was like. We just we went we went somewhere to get a drink, came back, and then we got there and we're like, "What's going on?" So it was our first exposure to to wow. that, you know, where they come and slice off the beef. And I'm not kidding, John. We stayed there from like 9:30, and we closed the place at midnight. Like we were there for three <laughs> hours, and we never stopped. They just kept bringing stuff over. 
like we must have left that place 10 pounds every like it was just crazy that's probably the best meal i ever had because it was it's just so different and so delicious we were hungry and anyway it's just that is probably the most memorable meal i've ever had on the road nice see it's i'm glad i didn't ask myself i don't think i'd be able to choose you know the answer is italian but i'm not sure which italian meal. <laughs> <laughs> okay well actually so so my question is very similar to the one you just asked me but um, uh -oh. You know, you've traveled quite. A, you've traveled around as well. You know, both locally in the U.S. and uh, internationally. Uh, and I know, of course, you know you love Italy and Italian food. But what is the one city, other than the one where you live, that you would actually live in? What's your second city that said you would go? I would live oh, there. Man. Live? Do I have to bring my family, or is this a retirement? Oh, that's <laughs> tough. Uh, <laughs> Cause that's the hard part. Like, uh, you know, I always dream of having a second home in Italy and, you know, a place that I can just go with my wife and just love the Italian culture, but I don't want my kids raised there. So, oh man, but where would I live? I mean, it's interesting because we had this choice five years ago and so we chose Vegas because we love it here. But the only other one that was in the running was actually Salt Lake. Because uh, we weren't going to move to some random city uh, just because and uproot our family. So I guess Salt Lake would be, Salt Lake City would Salt probably city. be the answer. Right. But um, if I'm retired, that choice would be very different. <laughs> if my kids are out of the house, it would be very different. Uh, 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 yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Wow. <laughs> well, well, for the record, mine would be San Diego. But uh, uh, but. Toronto, Toronto is is my home and I love it here. But if I had a choice of wherever to live, I would probably pick San Diego. I didn't say you'd hate the state tax, but I guess you're a Canadian, so you're used to the high taxes. I'm used to. <laughs> I'm just not used to the I'm just not used to the forest fires or the you know, but <laughs> and those kinds of things. But it would be it's a beautiful temperature there all the time. Yeah. So that brings us perfectly to our third question. Uh, so the, yeah, and really our second health IT question, and that is. What's one thing the U.S. can learn from Canadian health IT? And of course, so, you know, I should give the background that you live in Toronto, which you, you, you pointed out. So what can we learn the U.S. from Canadian health IT? Wow. Okay. Um, I need well, an import. Uh, yeah. So, so besides how not to implement things sometimes, uh, you know, we here Canadians, we're, we're, we're the land of pilots, never ending pilots, because we don't really want to implement anything. We just pilot forever. And we wait for other people hmm. to prove it for us. But putting that joke aside, um, I think the one thing that that um, we can learn, or that, that we could, we should export, is Canadian IT and Canadian healthcare operates in a perpetual state of too much demand uh, and having to rationalize and prioritize who gets care and why they're getting it. And this is, I know, a foreign concept <laughs> to the U.S., but it forces thinking around okay, who can we put on a waiting list? And it's okay for them to wait. Whereas, and they have to build these into the systems to automate it, right? To say, okay, I've got a list of 20 possible patients I can see, which are the five that are critical and I can see them right away, which happens. And then who are the 15 that can wait? And then what's the prioritization of that wait? So because of the way the Canadian system is built, we have to build in this kind of uh, triaging, if you will, and I, I think that's something we can actually export because 
we're going to need it. I mean, eventually the resources are going to become either because of cost or because of other reasons. Where it's just you can't give the same care to everybody. So how do you rationalize it, and how do you there how do you also cut down the cost of that? Uh, as well, because there are some people who just go, you know what, you start looking at that list and go, there's 15 people who are in a high priority. Is there an alternative? Right? Then you start really looking at it going, well, maybe number 15 there, like, do they really have to do this surgery? Can I can I do rehab instead, which is a cheaper option? So I think it's really more, I wish I could say it was a technology, but it's really more a way of thinking that uh, I think Canadians could export uh, to the U.S. Well, technology enables it, and it is interesting. I mean, that's the argument many people use for Medicare for All and why we don't want it in the U.S., so it's interesting you use it as an advantage, uh, and it definitely, I, I think the only way to do it at scale is with technology and the data. It does come with a price. I mean, don't be wrong. We pay high taxes, of course, but it also comes with the price of, yes, we can't get care exactly when we need it, non-elective. Like, well, sorry, when it's not critical, right? When it's critical yeah, care, you get it, but when it's not critical, yeah. Uh, okay, so no, my, question for, my question for you, John, uh, now that we have this mountain and mountain of data in healthcare, which is the piece of data that you keep saying we should use or you believe we should be using, but no one is? Piece of data that we should use that no one is. Well, I, you know, I, I, you know, I keep going back and forth on this in my head because uh, on the one hand, I, I ascribe to the idea of skinny data, which is, hey, let's stop building these enterprise data warehouses that have all of the data and do nothing. Let's do some slices of data that are valuable and actually improve care. Um, I guess for me, it's probably genomic data. Okay. I think that's where we see the most promise is the genomic data. And uh, we have these databases that are being built around genomic markers that can help identify the treatment or the care plan that could actually improve it. Uh, you know, I love the story and I forget the exact example, but it was a really rare cancer patient that was able to be treated with a blood pressure drug or something like that. And you're like, why aren't we discovering this sooner? You know, like I think we all have, there's probably drugs that can help a lot of us with really challenging health situations and it's not being done. So I guess I'll take genomic data, which is a really big piece of data. <laughs> I love it. You chose a large, yeah, you charged a large chunk, so you hedged your bet. I like that one. I like yeah, that one. That's true. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lynn and Colin Hung. Please take a minute to check out our story archives at healthcareittoday.com and please rate us and review us wherever you're listening to this episode. Tell us what you enjoyed, tell us what you didn't, which host seems nicer, anything really, just <laughs> let us know what's going on. Uh, you can do that uh, either in the comments section where you're listening to this or on Twitter using uh, our uh, accounts at techguy and at Colin underscore hung. We look forward to receiving your feedback. So John, that's kind of a you know a nice break, but let's add now. Let's go to a question that I'm looking forward to asking you around your career. This is, this is kind of a career question, um, kind of not, but but um, see one of the things that I knew about you way before I actually met you was you know you were the guy with the salmon pants. Right? <laughs> so it's become it's become actually a. a a career definition like you, you you've embraced it you you own the salmon pants but i would i am very interested and i'm sure our listeners are very interested 
What is the story behind those salmon pants? <laughs> the story behind the salmon pants. Well, it was funny uh, that that hymns. Uh, I think it was uh, Stephanie, uh, our friend Stephanie, tweeted salmon pants is trending on Twitter. <laughs> the first time I wore them. Uh, so I guess you know that's funny that you'd bring this up. Well, the story is actually quite simple. Uh, I was hanging out with my aunt, who is this wonderful lady. She worked for Nordstrom for 30, 40 years or something, all the way up to regional customer service rep and everything. And we were hanging out one holiday or something I was visiting, and uh, we were talking, and she's like, John, I think you need a signature look. I'm like, a signature look? What do you mean? And I'd started doing some talks and different things around town, and she's like, yeah, you need a, you need a look that, like, you know, is special and that people will remember. And I'm like, okay, well, that's interesting. So I thought about it and I sat on it for a month or two. And then I was going up to visit again the family and she was there and I said, okay, I'm gonna make this a business expense. I'm gonna give you a budget. Cause of course I don't give a rip about clothes. I don't care what I wear, like that's just who I am. But I was like, it makes sense, right? Like if I look a certain way or professional, then you know you could do better in your career. So I'm considering it a business investment, right? I'm gonna give you this budget of money. We're gonna go to the store and we went to Nordstrom. Uh, you know, shout out to Nordstrom, which interestingly enough, I worked there as a kid. But uh, <clears throat> we went to Nordstrom and we went around and she was my personal shopper and she brought in some other people that she knew. And, uh, and then she showed me these salmon pants and I'm like, I'm not sure. Do I want to wear those? She's like, John, do you wear these? They're going to stand out. And sure enough, she, she was right. So uh, there you go. I I dropped the money and uh, the, the salmon pants were born. <laughs> it has become a career signature uh, piece of clothing. So because uh, you can't talk salmon pants without identifying you as an individual. So it worked. It definitely worked. Thanks to your aunt. for that Yeah. One. <clears throat> It's interesting, right? I mean, I, I, I the question is, do I always wear them? Maybe I should go full Steve Jobs and just wear salmon pants. It might be easier. Uh, it, the other irony of this whole situation is when I did the first purchase, I went back to her about six months, a year later. I was like, oh, dang, I only have four outfits now. I got to go buy some more outfits because if I wear just these four, like everyone will be like, oh, do you not have any other clothes? I was like, oh, okay, dang, I guess the, this is just not a one-time investment. Fashion is an ongoing investment. But anyway, <laughs> well, it's been but, good, I think. But for you, salmon is always in season. <laughs> that's true. And that's actually the thing people tie me to is this Nantucket where, uh, but, you know, it's it's been all right. All right, so here's one for you. Uh, All right. Who's been the most influential person in your career, and what did they do to really, you know, have that impact on you? Wow. Wow. Okay, that's an interesting one. So who has had the most impact in my career? Um, yeah. So you know, I think I think it would have to be this my very first manager that I worked for at this imaging consulting company. And when I say imaging, I don't mean like radiology imaging. I mean like document imaging. That's where I first started. Oh, it wasn't your salmon pants image? No. <laughs> no. Uh, so it was a guy, it was a guy named Gar, um, Gar Moret. And he was a, an engineer like I am. And he was a civil engineer. I was a mechanical engineer. This is my first job right out of university, you know, real job right out of university that wasn't in an engineering firm. And an engineering firm, uh, you know, you typically work nine to five. It was unionized. So like five o'clock came around, like basically it was a ghost town, right? Like it was just, and so I had never really been exposed to that sort of entrepreneurial world. And so when I joined this company, Gar was my manager 
and like for the first few months i was just like five o'clock came along i was like out the door right and and that was the way because that was just the way i'd been brought up all my work i'd been like that and so he sat me down one day and just had a chat about like what i wanted to do where i was going and and basically he just basically sent me straight and said hey listen you want to be a nine to five person you know doing this isn't for you being in tech isn't for you and you know this is how people behave and this is and he was really nice about it he was just telling me it. and then he also taught me a lot about his career and how he went from you know all these different areas he was a developer and then he was you know a salesperson and so just he was through the years i was there he was just a great mentor and just was able to you know tell me or teach me a lot of things just by from his own uh career which i thought which some of the lessons i still take today so i'd have to say him in terms of my career growth um different answer if you'd asked me around healthcare, but just in that one is definitely, um, he's, he, I remember a lot of what he taught me the most. That's awesome. It's funny. My answer would have been my first boss too. So I'll save that story for another day, but that, that's really awesome. I love that he shaped it. That That's great. Yeah. It was just, it was just nice. And it was nice to have that common, like we had the same background, you know, he was an engineer that ended up in tech and, and that uh, was just so helpful. So uh, all right, nice. let's get to the last health IT question, John. Sounds so great. Uh, this one's kind of a fun one too for you, but uh, so over the years, we've had some uh, colorful characters in, in healthcare, uh, you know, and, and some colorful <laughs> companies. So we've had, you know, of course, Jonathan Bush, <laughs> you know, former uh, CEO and founder of uh, Athena Health. We've had, you know, the whole Theranos situation. Uh, and And then of course we had, last year we had, recently the Google Ascension um, uh, story break and, and all the all the fuss that was made about that. So what or who would you like to see going forward to be sort of that lightning rod, that interesting person, interesting story? Like if you were to build somebody, who would it be? Like what would you mix and match? What kind of a story would you want to be in 2020 to be that sort of definitive healthcare story? Well, I mean, I guess I could take it a lot of ways. Uh, <clears throat> interestingly, I always define Jonathan Bush as the best interview in health IT because you you <laughs> literally have no clue what's going to come out of his mouth, and that makes for an exciting interview. Uh, but I'm not sure that's what I want for my healthcare, uh, you know, <laughs> or my company. Um, I guess I would probably. Um, so, so do you want an individual person, or do you want the the attributes? <laughs> Give me the attributes. Make the attributes. Like, what would so the attributes I want from a CEO, man, I, you know, I, I guess, you know, Jonathan Bush is the epitome of some of those attributes uh, because what he had that was so appreciated by many of us was he was brave and he wasn't afraid to go against convention. And even though he often was bombastic and even edged on the the line of some of the many Me Too subjects, and you know he could be abusive from what I heard. I, you know, I I never saw it myself, but you know, from a boss perspective, what I loved about him and the character and attribute I would want from that leader is someone that's brave enough to say the things that we're all thinking but we're afraid to say, or that we didn't know how to articulate, which was one of my favorite characteristics of Jonathan Bush, is he could articulate what all of us realized but didn't know how to say. And so that's, I think, a powerful attribute of a leader, is being able to take a complex system like healthcare 
and dumb it down into something really simple. Interestingly enough, my brother is very much like this. He can take any situation, a challenging situation in the family or a challenging situation politically, and he can dumb it down to the two or three things that really matter. He said, well, it seems really simple to me. These are the three things that matter. Just evaluate those and then you'll know the answer. And so, you know, someone that can do that is just extraordinary. And to me, that's what we need in healthcare. Because if you want to complicate something in healthcare, you can. And so you need a real leader that's visionary that can say, no, throw out all the complication. These are the three things that matter. Let's do them or let's make decisions based on those three things and we'll have something effective. So yeah, shout out to my brother. (laughs) (laughs) Nicely done, nicely done. Cool. So the last one for you is, and this will be interesting. I don't know if you're Canadian enough to do this one, but uh, what's the most annoying thing you hear over and over again about health IT and you're just sick of hearing it? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, are, you, are you brave enough to share? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I'll give you two answers. So from people who aren't in healthcare, there is one thing I hear about healthcare from that, from people who aren't in the business that I, I hear over and over again. And it just, it's just clearly, you know, it just, it's annoying because you just, it clearly you don't know anything about healthcare. And that is, I hear all the time, well, just cut everyone's salary. Like that's the way to cut the cost out of healthcare. You're paying everyone too much. Like that's, like, because they all, all they see is that list of doctors and how much they make, and they hear the CEO of the hospitals are making this much, so they think it's a people problem, right? They they just think that oh, if you just cut people's salaries, you know, all of healthcare's costs will be solved. I hear this actually from a lot of my friends <laughs> who who aren't in healthcare to go. Actually, that's part of the reason why healthcare costs are so much. So that's sort of on the non healthcare. What about side. the health IT side? So the, the healthcare, healthcare IT side, the one thing I am starting to get a little bit uh, tired of hearing is the whole uh, non-usability of EHRs. Like, I, mm. I think we've heard it enough now. We Okay, we get it. it. They aren't very easy to use. Yes, you need a thousand clicks. And yes, it's a problem. I'm not saying it's not a problem. It's just like we've been saying it now for seven years, right? But if we say it 12 more times, our EHR vendors going to finally hear it? Is that, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. <laughs> right? Like, I, I just, you, you either, like, I think it, we're at the point where, okay, great, like, what's the alternative, right? Either get part of bit behind the solution or just get off that EHR. Like, it's been seven years. You can get off it now, right? You can migrate to something else. Um, I, but I just, you know, I think at the beginning, you know, it was, it was you know, need, people needed to hear it. But now I think, okay, look, you've got entire industries, even the media, everyone in the mainstream media is quoting it. We've got the government even trying to regulate it. Like, you know, the... So I think it's time that that gets put to rest. And that to that's me is great. one. They've heard it and they've internalized it or they haven't and they're not going to, right? I, I think that's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Time to move on, time to move on. Anyway, Sean, this awesome. has been a very interesting episode and I'm gonna have to say, we, we're gonna have to do this again because I think it'd be kind of fun. Um, I think it's fun. They'll have to let us know on uh, on Twitter or whatnot if they liked it. <laughs> yes, there you go. And one day we'll have to get a third person here so that we, they can ask us random questions that they pulled off of Twitter that we don't know and can ask us. That nice, would be I like it. To be <laughs> that. But thank you to all of you who tuned into this episode of Healthcare IT Today. Find out more details about our show by clicking on the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. 
And please share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hung with my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lynn. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.